Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs podcast, the show where I speak to members of bands, artists of all kinds about their survival, how they've managed to get by and hopefully include some of the the best and the worst sideline jobs they've had over the years. I speak to Ritzy Bryan from The Joy Formidable on today's episode. Their new album, Into the Blue, is out now. You can get it on Hassle Records from their website. We talk about their music club, The Joy Formidable Music Club, how the album wouldn't have been made without all your support, without people getting involved in, in that side of, of their world. And I, I find that stuff just so interesting, I think. The way that we listen to music now, the way that we the way that we interact with bands, that is that personal connection is is totally is totally the future. Bands building their own worlds, making their own connection points, using their imagination to do different stuff outside of the music, which totally does play into the records. 
So thank you so much for listening to this chat. If you haven't subscribed, please do. I appreciate each and every one of you who listens to these chats. It's something that I really love doing. And I, and I think getting these stories from these artists just for me adds a whole new level to, to the albums of, of the people that I'm speaking to. East London Signature Brew have been brewing beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Sports Team, Hot Chip. And if you want to get some of their flagship beers delivered directly to your door, go on to signaturebrew.co.uk and when you make your order, if you use 101 Podcast as a voucher code, you can get 10% off. All right, here's Ritzy Bryan from The Joy Formidable. Go well. I've had a house out here now for about about eight years. Um, so we, we've been here a lot longer than expected. We came over here in February last year, expecting only just to, we actually came to pick up some gear and stuff. You know, that's, that's the lovely thing about uh, touring internationally is like occasionally you go, hang on, where's such and such? And you realize you've left it 6,000 miles away <laughs> and you have to go and pick it up or figure something out. So we came back to do a little bit of demoing over here. And then obviously the pandemic hit. Um, you know, we just thought, oh, you know, we'll, we won't travel for a minute. Let's sit it out. And then obviously that's turned into like the last year and a half so kind of unexpected but it, it it's it's been good you know it's been good for the creativity um but now we're getting ready to come back to the UK because we're hoping that we're going to be able to play Focus Wales in October and uh yeah and see everybody it's too long to be apart from your loved ones isn't it in in some respects so, yeah we're excited it's quite a funny vision a, a Welsh person in Utah <laughs> Somebody was just telling me last night, right? <laughs> I've got some fun friends around here, I'm telling you. Somebody was just telling me last night that um, I think at some point Wales had the biggest immigration to Utah and the biggest conversion, Mormon conversion rate in the world at a certain moment in history. So it's quite interesting to me. There's actually quite a lot of um, Welsh connection and history um, here in Utah, um, probably more from a, a kind of a Mormon perspective, which isn't something that, um, you know, I'm particularly interested in, although I've met a lot of Mormons and they seem, uh, you know, they seem pre- pretty, de- pretty decent on the whole. They don't rob your house when you go away on tour. So that's always yeah. good. <laughs> so, yeah, they're reliable for that. <laughs> totally. Um, so was moving to Utah, was that like a because, you know, this podcast is about survival, you know, for its namesake, it's about the, for better or worse, the jobs that you've worked between tours and between making records. But I mean, what, you know, over after a hundred episodes or so, it's, it, it, everyone's got their own story of survival. I mean, mm-hmm. was moving to Utah part of your survival as, as, you know, maintaining, continuing being an artist? I think it's certainly it's brought a lot of a it's brought a different type of creativity the fact that I've had this house here and um the studio that we ended up building out here um I think it's given us a place you know to kind of come and actually really realize a lot of the ideas that we've you know that um I don't know whether or not some of the writing would have been the same if we'd have done it anywhere else it's always interesting to kind of reflect on that but at the time it was um it was very much a whim you know we'd been um 
on the road for about five years straight and uh, we kind of moved out of our place in London um, you know uh, just because we were on the road so much and it made absolutely no point playing paying like London rent and then being there like fucking two weeks a year or something so we've been living like lots of you know sofa surfing and uh, living out of suitcases and things like that and it I just came through here on such a cliched mother and daughter road trip. <laughs> like, With your mom? Yeah, we just, right. my mom was going through a divorce and I was like, right, come on, let's fucking, <laughs> let's go and have this adventure and, uh, you know, clear our heads and that. And um, yeah. ended up passing through this little town in Utah and um, I don't know, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. So um, about a year later when I, I was like, oh man, I can't fucking live out of a case anymore. So I can't find anything. It's doing me head in. So um, I just ended up buy, buying out here. And uh, it was very, well, there was it, it was, it was very nicely unconscious. It was, just felt like the right thing at the time and I didn't give it too much thought. But it's ended up being a really, like I said, it's been a really big part of the writing, you know, the writing place for the band. And it's a lovely sanctuary to go to outside of tour and I love having friends over you know to stay because it's a beautiful part of the world so it's it's um it's turned out all right for a what was like a 10 minute decision <laughs> for people like me and who are rubbish absolutely rubbish not useless with geography I just googled where Utah is and it's literally okay a little bit west but right in the middle like near Nevada where Right. You know, like I say, fairly uneducated. Like it's the middle of nowhere. I mean, did that make you a little bit worried about the 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 band the band and just being able to be there when shit happened? You know, if you got like a, a Jules Holland spot next Friday. Uh, did any of that stuff play on your mind? Uh no, not really. I mean I think, you know, um I think sometimes when an when something feels right and feels good for you, um, I mean the band has been you know it's obviously a huge consuming part of all mm. our lives um but I, I don't think it should ever come at the expense of everybody being happy and I think we were we were at that point where um it, you know like worry about almost worry about that later if you found and that goes for any of us you know if you found mm. something that is you know is is good for you individually then it's it's only going to you know, to make everything easier at the end of the day. The the last thing you need is, you know, your band, mem- band members not being, you know, um, I don't know. That's really lovely to hear because I, I, I think so many people have that thing where, you know, I, I feel I feel like a lot of people in bands, there's, you know, a bit of a cliche. Of, people feel lucky to be doing it, to be releasing records, to be to be touring and, and being part of that. And, you know, what you just said there, you know, you can't, that can't come at the expense of your happiness. That's a really primary thing to think about, right? Yeah, I think it's probably become um, more, like I've almost become more aware of that in the, in the past um, year, um, in a way. I think that's the one thing with them, um, you know, the, the one positive from COVID and maybe being in a little bit more of a lockdown state is, um, I've, I do feel like, um, you know, music and, and kind of touring and that it's, it's beautiful and it's, it's energizing and every day is different, but it doesn't always, um, give you the time or the energy to sometimes, uh, focus on yourself. And so I think even though we've had that, um, we've had that kind of, uh, 
embrace of wanting to look after each other. I think sometimes we, you know, um, I don't feel like I've always, um, you know, reflected on, like I said, it can be very consuming, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? And I'm not complaining because I, I love what we've created and the and the career that we've had. But at the same time, I, I feel like it's probably more of a of an epiphany that I've had this year that it's also really important to, um, you know, to to reflect on where you are and your own happiness because ultimately um, you can make really good music when you're really angsty and your life's kind of falling apart, but it's kind of not sustainable either on a, in a way, you know? Like yeah, it, it yeah. does sometimes bring good art and good creativity, but it's not always the best for, for yourself, um, your, your physicality and your mental health. So I kind of feel like, you know, I kind of feel like it doesn't have to, you don't have to be in that state to be, to have something to write about or to something to stay. And I feel like I've, I have been, I have been in worse places thinking that that's kind of like where you need to be to still feel fired up about making music. And, and this whole year has been quite a, it's been quite a different, um, you know, in terms of actually addressing that and, um, almost having a new value that you can, you know, that, um, actually I kind of feel like my, the creativity and the songwriting this past 12 months has probably been the most fluid and beautiful ever. And that's, that's strangely because I feel like I'm in a really, um, good place, you know? So it's the complete opposite of where I wrote all those early albums. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Are there any moments or stories that you can think of that that come to mind where you've had to kind of reassess what you're doing and double down on yourself? I think 2016 was quite a difficult year. There was like a lot, um, a lot that tested us, I think, in that year. Well, we went and made this record that we all felt really um, excited about in Wales. And we were, we really wanted to capture the performance side of, um, you know, what we do live, we really wanted to capture that in a recorded sense. So we went to North Wales and we started making Hitch and we and we wanted it to be a very intimate kind of um, session between the three of us. So it was all self-produced and we mixed it ourselves and we um, we were set up in my old childhood home in like right out in the sticks in North Wales and um, just really enjoying being together and vibing and getting in a room together, you know, and it, it felt like a really exciting album to make and then just on the cusp of, re- of releasing that we just started to to feel like things were unraveling a little bit like we lost our then manager um we lost our label um we <laughs> we got in we we partnered up with a new label and they um really botched the the distribution of hitch you know they were sending it was a year late in terms of sending the vinyl to people and they were sending it's fucking comical now looking back but they were sending fucking empty sleeves to people not just once but twice so there was like some of our fans were getting like fucking vinyl sleeves with no vinyl in it like twice (laughs) a year later from when they'd actually ordered it you know what can you do in those situations? Because, you know, you kind, yeah. you kind of usually see the things that, you know, you see things that go right. You don't see that shit that goes wrong that much unless you're getting a, you know, an empty record sleeve. But what can you do in that situation? Yeah. And I think that's where you kind of feel like out of control with it because you've obviously created the, this body of work that you feel really passionate about. And, you 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 know, we're very caring as people like we don't like to take the piss or make our make our fan base feel like we're not 
considering them because yeah no they've we've got a wonderful um connection with our fan base that's the one thing that has been so tangible to me across this 10 years that we've had together we've we've got a lot of like a sincerity between everybody like it's a community mm-hmm. you know and we've mm-hmm. and that is that is that comes from actually like watering it and being decent and all those, you know, all those things and being present. So to then have like a bunch of fuckheads sending out, you know, like, and it's not coming from us and we're trying to do this massive clear up, you know, I mean, now it doesn't even, now when I describe it, it doesn't seem as atrocious as it was at the time, but there was something just so disheartening about the whole thing and like the lack of control and you're just fucking apologizing constantly for something that you haven't Cleaning up after other people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, so um, after that record, we were so just kind of tired out by like exactly that, how we felt like we weren't... um, running our own you know even though we do on a creative side isn't that the thing like we're so um strong about our musical integrity and what we want and what we put out there and the tours that we do to then finally feel like you know really from the business side which is always like a shitty boring bit to talk about anyway but the fact that that didn't uh, go hand in hand with this you know everything else that we'd created we w- weren't finding the right partners who could actually support us in the vision you know and the follow-through and actually you know um, presenting it in the way that we wanted so I feel like at the end of 2016 we were kind of like oh you know what fuck this this is too stressful like you know we're all skint because we've uh, you know oh, we got sued at the very end of that year as well by the label that had fucking sent out all the wrong uh, vinyl they they uh they wanted us to pay, they wanted us to pay them back <laughs> for, oh, for a bunch of stuff. so it was like so we had this like uh law I'm glad you could laugh about it <laughs> oh i know i mean like we, and we've kept our sense of humor all the time because you know it, it there is some just something about you have to you can't control everything on the external that goes on but but there was definitely a moment where we're like man you know we're skin we're fucking tired from dealing with all of this shit. Like we haven't found the support that we feel like we, we want, you know, and deserve. Um, and I think that's where the cusp of, of Arth starts, where we were kind of questioning whether or not to make another album. And we did this thing where I feel like we were very uh, conscious of what we got rid of, how we reclaim things back you know, we went through this kind of like complete, uh, uh, re, you know, shakedown of everything at the start of that record. And I think we've, we had such fun we went, when we, by the time we went back in the studio, you know, that's the thing that kind of reinvigorates you and you're like, Oh, I know why I do music. It's cause it's for all these moments and the chemistry that the three of us have. And I think between that and having this big shakedown and actually deciding that we were, going to do some things a lot differently since then I feel like we've you know um we've kind of uh, brought the power back to us and that's only really grown even more through the music club and the way that we started to manage our touring as well so it was just like a lot of change in that moment where you kind of had to just hang on in there and go well I love this so much and I'm proud of what who we are and what we are 
Um, so I'm, I'm going to just hang on in there and I'm going to try and implement as much change as possible, you know, so that we can end up with a much with that not fucking happening again because it's, you know, waste of energy. That embracing the internet. I mean, I remember when bands really started to embrace Twitter and Instagram, which is hilarious to think of now. But thinking about the music club and, you know, that's that's a whole community where, well, that's what it is. It's a big community. And that's I feel like we're seeing that more and more with bands now, um, you know, idols being such a big one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's such a wonderful thing. You, f- you feel that connection with artists and and th- that must be so nice to, to feel that and, and be able to reflect that back to your fans. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, um, we started the music club in 2019. So, well, kind of late 2018 as well. Um, so, so we, you're quite you're quite early on, really, weren't you? Yeah, it actually, you know, it came before the pandemic and everything. I think the way that it's evolved and grown um, during COVID has taken us by surprise, you know, quite a bit. Um, it's really heartening that it's felt like people have uh, wanted to support us. They've understood that, like, fucking hell, man, if all your touring gets cancelled for nearly two years, you know, mm-hmm. like, you have to, mm-hmm. your, your bands are adapting or, the, or you know, or they're not. How are they supporting themselves? You know, it raises a lot of questions. If the, if everything is so fragile that it all depends on a band going out and touring X amount of months a year, then the kind of the the industry isn't as, uh, you know, the dimensional element of of the music industry where you know you're making money from recording and live. You know, I think it's really shown how it's it's fucked up. You know, it needs overhauling in a lot of ways, and I think the music club has been, like I said, it started off with the intent that we wanted to have like a place where people came and they listened to, you know, other other tracks outside of um, the traditional album system. And then that's obviously grown into a lot of online shows as well. But instead of being spread over all these platforms, you know, which is good in some ways, but you can use it in a way because it gives you, it gives you exposure to different people maybe and, and maybe fans that wouldn't hear about you otherwise. But ultimately... You know, a band shouldn't be spread um, over tons of platforms with everybody else telling a different story or not really being able to tell the full story. And your website almost ends up becoming like this dusty, fucking not even important place anymore. And you're just some sort of tag on of fucking Facebook or something. I think like what we've created and the platform that we've created and the fact that it's, it's ours and it's our, you know, it's our it's our creative place that we can share with everybody. It's just felt great. And it's definitely something that we'd like to, to have, you know, to kind of, I suppose, like to involve more bands with that, with that kind of model as well. You know, cause it's definitely, I mean, it's fucking supported us this year. I don't, you know, on some level, I think we would have um, struggled to have made this album and, and even getting reset to go back on the road. It's, you know, even all the costs now, not wanting to be miserable about it, but the, when all your gear's been sat for 18 months as well, you know, you gotta, <laughs> gotta check everything out before you go on the road, you know, so... And that's that's what invigorates me as a fan, you know, seeing how these stories of how people make it work. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, met, you mentioned there, this is a way for bands to to make their own shit happen so they don't have to be doing a, a bunch of other stuff on the side to to be able to afford, you know, keeping a website or checking your gear works before you even go on tour. Have Are there any kind of overarching solutions or ideas that 
anything that you that you you often find yourself coming back to in terms of the way that artists and the way that you know bands specifically can survive yeah i think uh this year has definitely put a bit of a fire even more of a fire underneath us in terms of really um you know and i guess kind of just being in touch with um with everything um that you need to be aware of i suppose as a as an artist so I guess that's been the thing that being able to grow the club in the way that we have done and create this, I guess it's, it's, if you're a band, I suppose we may be in a, in a nice position as well, but I can see it working for new artists. Like I think we came to a place where we realized that we had so much material that sometimes the way that we were releasing music felt a bit kind of slow through like a kind of a traditional you know, releasing schedule, like in the way that maybe partners and labels want to do it. So, and um, I think a lot of bands have adapted to maybe being able to record themselves as well, because obviously, you know, um, when you are having to be a little bit more mindful of costs and things like that, you know, um, you can do some work at studios, but, you know, maybe not, um, maybe not hours and hours or days and days, you know, like before. So I think um, for us, knowing that what the output of material was and um, being able to do really kind of exciting things with all that extra music as well and kind of keep keep the the rights to those tracks and uh, and and have them live in a different place that kind of feels like you know um, a bit special you know we've we've been able to kind of create enough, we've had enough um, help um, with the technology that we're kind of able to kind of do things in this one place. Um, We have this backstage area where we can put a lot of music up and a lot of archival stuff and we can host um, shows and we can host Q and A's and all that sort of stuff. So um, just like this really. Is Is that taking control? It's taking control of your own shit and protecting it. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely the the big kind of, um, you know, the, the aesthetic of it all is if you are, um, if you are, you know, uh, able to do all of those things, like record yourself and, you know, and, um, and I think, again, I think this whole kind of chapter has obviously showed that bands are extremely um, capable of like recording themselves and putting on shows and, and doing all these things kind of like in-house, you know, between themselves. Um, I think, you know, a combination of sharing that wider, but also really um, understanding the value of of that as well, that it's not just yeah. all out there for free, you know, let's just add yeah. to the this uh rhetoric of just devaluing music even more you know what i mean yeah, it's, not enough, yeah, it's yeah. like less than a cup of coffee sometimes like now we're gonna fucking do shows for free and stuff like that you know like that that isn't i don't think where we we feel like we wanted to be we wanted to give people a really good experience and quality of the shows and quality of the music and you know and it and it kind of support the band to be able to keep on doing that. So it ends up, you know, that we're we're coming together. Being sustainable. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you? I mean, leading up to the kind of moments where you you real or like you know those kinds of ideas started to germinate within you. I mean, in in the early years of the band, did you find it hard to to you know make make the band your priority? It was very much the priority from a creative point of view. Like it, you know, like I said, that's always been a very 
consuming part of like I said we write a lot and we're always excited about the next uh the next body of work that we're going to make and we have a mobile studio so we're kind of always writing and waking up in the night and scribbling things into notebooks and you know like that's just like a part of um who we are but um I mean I've I've I really feel like I've had to fast track a lot of the business side of things as well um, in order to uh, navigate uh, some of the challenges of being a band, making sure that you don't just, you know, you can be like a really smart, involved band and you can still end up feeling like you're about to get fucked all the time, you know. Um, How do you like square that off? How do you square that feeling off so that it's not always just kind of lingering there? Well, um, I think you have to, um, again, it's that sense, that difference, I guess I was explaining about after 2016, where you kind of empower yourself instead of feeling like you're some sort Mm -hmm. of victim, because obviously you've chosen to do music. You know that it's a difficult industry, you know, you know, you know that, um, it has like any other, like any industry or any kind of career that you go into, you know that it's going to have turbulence. You know that it's going to go up and down. Um, you have to be, I think, extra wary. Like I said, there's um, a lot of a lot of different elements of it that can end up like taking little pieces from you if you're not careful and you're not if you're not protective um, of your brand and of your of your music. Um, but I think you have to look at it, like I said, not in this victimy way, like, oh, you know, everything's, you know, everything's... World's against look, you. Oh, so yeah, every, everything's miserable and it's all hard. And um, it's like, what are the things that you can control? How can you um, keep the fire of your creativity? How can you not allow yourself to get dragged down, you know, by all the stuff outside? And really, you know, how can you make the the creative element as stress-free you know although not too comfortable you know (laughs) you know what I mean just about finding that that middle ground of night like not taking things too personally knowing what it is that you want sticking to your vision and kind of just enjoying some of the ride as well because it's like every day is different it's quick it's moving you know you're at the helm of it yeah it's your own you're self-employed it's your own art you know so and in those formative years of like 18 to 25 you know think about that stuff I mean what can you remember from from that period of time in terms of you know in the context of this yeah not a lot really (laughs) 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 that's funny um I remember feeling again that sense of being uh, uh too affected by things you know like having how do you get the maturity where you don't take things to heart that like you don't um you 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 are thick-skinned enough to see that with every failure there's growth as well you know sometimes you're not quite there at that age are you you know it can can lead to you not feeling um good about yourself and you take and, and it's obviously a very it's a place of, you know, of feeling judgment sometimes, isn't it? You know, from, mm-hmm. from lots of different angles, your own personal judgment of like, uh, you know, are you, um, are you good enough? You know, um, how, you know, how do you measure your success sometimes? I mean, I think that's something that you just kind of like, it comes with um, experience and it comes with age and it comes with like, 
you know I mean I I think I was pretty th- I, I don't think you can even start in music unless you're pretty thick-skinned and you let things bounce off you you know for instance I remember one of the first gigs we did in London and this guy came up to me some A&R douchebag and said uh well I don't really know what's going on with the way that you look um you 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 should sort of be looking more and snarling more like Courtney Love, but you know you you wearing a wearing a pretty dress, and That's you're being quite sweet, you know. And you're just like fuck <laughs> off. Yeah, you like do one. <laughs> you know, do one. I mean, what do you say to that? Do you do you walk away? Do you? Well, do you I stick think, up for yourself. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's the. <laughs> This the interesting point, isn't it? Because to me, that's like, you know, what did you think of the songs, you fucking arsehole? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, like you're just trying to find a fucking angle with everything, you know, which, yeah. you know, you can definitely feel like at the start of a, ba- a band that's being presented to the industry. It's, you know, there's certainly been moments like that where it feels like the music can end up being coming so secondary to some of the other stuff, you know, depending on, on who it is that's that's listening. How 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 much of you feel like because that that's like the classic, you know, the the kind of Lester Bangs kind of like rock and roll journalism. There there are always these kinds of pictures and holes, shapes to fit into. I mean, how much you know, looking back on hindsight, how much did you ever like play that game or, you know, sort of participate in that conversation, I suppose? I think that's where I um, was, you know, um, I think that's the one bit of it that never really occurred to me, you know, like I'd grown up like loving all these artists um, and feeling like they were kind of themselves, you know, that there was originality with all the artists that I liked that they didn't, you know, they weren't just one thing they weren't you know they didn't feel like they'd been polished I suppose that was always my favorite artists so I think like I said um I don't know whether or not it was naively but you know it was quite jarring for me to then kind of go into the industry and feel like people wanted to fucking change you you know because for me the the um I don't know the ideal of music for me had always been like you know um be really uh truthful and honest and open to who you are and that's what kind of makes great art with all the all the flaws <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. you know your ass hanging out and all do you know what I mean like it yeah. isn't yeah. it was never about like being shaped into something to make you more palatable to to people or more you know recognizable and I've definitely found that you know n- less so now but certainly in the in the early days of being like a woman in rock as well it was like just wasn't enough references I kind of felt like everybody was second guessing about what a a female uh, guitarist front woman should be or what they should look like do you know what I mean um I had moments in my career of feeling uh like it it confused people which was astonishing to me you know (laughs) I was like shouldn't it just be on the merit of what it is that you write and what you have to say you know (laughs) Do you think you're in, and, and I'm so sorry if this is like a cliche thing to ask, but is it, were the Manics quite a good band to look up to in that sense? Oh yeah, Because totally. of who they were and because they were well-read and from a working class background. You know, you know what I mean? That they, they challenged all of these, sorry. No, 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 I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, they were, um, 
a huge influence on me growing up, the Manics. Um, even artists like, you know, Elvis Costello, who felt like he just kind of did it. He was like my favorite growing up. Do you know what I mean? I think that's part yeah. of the reason I ended up getting into music was because my mum and dad took me to an Elvis Costello concert when I was like seven years old. And I think I was just nice. mesmerized, you know, but even, yeah. Yeah. you know, like um, just the, the, uh, the feeling that the artist is doing exactly what he fucking wants, you know, like even Costello, you know, he would do do records that were a bit like different, you know, like a chapter would change and all of a sudden he's not mm. doing his punky stuff anymore. He's doing mm. you know, more of a classical sounding record with Burt Bacharach or he's, you know, uh, kind of swapped up the mood. He's doing something more jazzy, you know, like I kind of feel like that, what was exciting to me, that was the... Um, that's what I admired was like not just being one formulaic thing. It was like, you know, growing and being able to, to, uh, to, to change if that's what you, you know, want to do well, but you're still recognizably yourself even through uh, those experiments, musical experiments or shifts. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, yeah, definitely strange to me, you know, that there might, that there might be a bit more of a kind of a machine you know I don't think I I think I was a bit naive in thinking that maybe there was a cookie cutter machine that kind of uh, uh, you know occasionally cropped up <laughs> like you have to be like this or we won't accept you <laughs> in those early years especially I suppose I mean w- did you have any any part-time jobs any full-time jobs even that <laughs> that you know shaped who you are for better or worse I had, yeah, I had a lot, you know, I worked in a fucking typical one, like a, you know, worked in a video shop because that had very flexible hours. So you could do that and at least you got free movies. So that was too, too bad. Uh, The one that is very, um, it's very kind of, uh, has a lot of memories attached to it with regards to the beginnings of the band was um, Ridgen and I managed to get temporary jobs. We just moved to London and um, we'd met with Matt we were like, we had a lot of tours booked and we were kind of getting, really getting going with the first EP and everything. And Rids and I, by some miracle, managed to get these temporary jobs that were across the way from each other on Blackfriars Bridge. So he was working at some medical filing office where I think he had to go through like thousands of doctors' names and kind of like categorize them or oh, wow. something. And then... Yeah. I had a, a job across the way, which was a joke, which was um, I was working in, I was the computer support department where I was the first person that they would get on the phone when their computers were working, which now is just ridiculous. Cause well, you, ha- you got your line, don't you? You got your first line. Have you turned it off and on again? Exactly. That's all I think I ever fucking said during that, <laughs> that period. And uh, <laughs> I think honestly, I'm not kidding. We used to get when the phone rang, it used to make you fucking jump off your desk chair because it hadn't <laughs> rang for about three days, <laughs> you know. So oh, great. <laughs> there was not, not loads to do then. Nothing to do, man. So they used to let me sit at this desk quietly and there were like seven other, you know, kind of more computer kind of uh, geeky guys that were in the, in the office. And then me manning the very first, you know, point uh, – kind of a point where people would come to but it rang so 
so rarely that um, I used to just sit there and I used to just write lyrics and, um, you know, I had little demos that I'd bring in on my, I had a little dictaphone back then, you know, and, and I'd be just writing lyrics and doing, and then Ridgen had a very similar, you know, boring job across the way and he used to do artwork. So we'd meet on our lunch hour. You know, things like Greatest Light, you know, that's like all of Greatest Light was penned at a computer support desk. Do you know what I mean? Like, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, but you've got to make it work, haven't you? Like it's like I said, it's expensive in in London to live, and yeah. things was we could feel like things were starting to. We were getting a bit of momentum going just by having. You know, it was a strange one even moving from Wales because we we love being in Wales, but we didn't feel like we had enough places to play live. You know, it was like we were having to go uh, into Manchester quite a bit. And um, so it just kind of made sense to to come down to London. We felt like and our manager ended up, our first manager ended up being in London based. So um, we just kind of thought, yeah, well, we'll try it. But then you obviously, you know, it's not a sub story. It's like if you if you just have to do it, don't you? you just juggle yeah, totally. two or three jobs, you know, you do some bar work in the night and uh, you know, like I said, temp jobs in the day and then we'd go out and we'd gig, you know, we were gigging like three or four times a week at that point just to get really uh, you know, get our whole life set really crafted, you know. Ace, ace. Where were you playing? What venues to stick out for you for those kind of you yeah. know, those those regular gigs <laughs> all sorts of uh pubs and uh, i don't know the dog and dick i don't know all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of like uh not not like proper music venues you know like i said kind of the more places where you could kind of just um have experience of playing but it wasn't necessarily like you know proper shows or any anything anywhere we could get a, you know um we could get a gig at the time, it was, yeah, just lots of little venues. I love that that leap of faith, you know, like, were you having fun throughout all of it? And, you know, these are these are times that, you know, even within these little jobs that that you've done and I've done and everyone's done, mm-hmm. like, there are, there's, there's fucking funny moments of them, aren't there? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, lots, because, you know, there's a kind of a, it, it's that thing of when you know that you're doing something that you're not that passionate about, like, like a temporary job, like, like I said, there was, it was a sweet office and they treated me nice. You know, they'd, um, they'd say, where are you playing tonight, Rhiannon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'd say, do you want to come? And they go, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and everybody thinks that you're like, you know, oh, look at, you know, look at her trying to do music. You know, there was a kind of a vibe of that. But it kind of, you know, it can give you the fire, can't it? Because you can see, maybe you get that totally, that sense of like, well, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to go into something every day that doesn't make me feel really alive. You know, like I I, I, want to do, you know, maybe it won't end up being music, but at least it's like, uh, it's given me that insight that I want to do something that at least I find really interesting every day that kind of keeps you um yeah you know yeah, yeah keeps you really- i feel like there's an element of like fuck you but in like kind of a positive way <laughs> you know what i mean and just like a no that's what this is good this is good because i now i know what i don't want to do and i know that that's gonna kind of propel you towards something close-ish closer to what you want to do yeah i think when it's 
hand in hand with something that you're so passionate about you know that's when it really shows that isn't it you know what I mean like mm-hmm. um you, you it's kind of really contrastive that like you know that like this this doesn't give me energy in life but this really really does so I think it made us throw ourselves into music we were just really grateful that's the word every day do you know what I mean yeah totally yeah. totally totally well, Rhiannon, this has been so much fun. I've loved hearing about all this. I mean, I'd, so much of that I'd, I'd never read before. I'd never known before. Yeah, I think, um, you know, at, at the time, it's always strange talking about things at the time. You don't, you know, you almost don't think. At the time, we were just we were just getting on with, with stuff, you know, and yeah. uh, seeing, seeing where, where it would go. So you're not always... Um, you know like I said it's it's only recently that I feel like you can actually give a bit more of a sense of where the band began <laughs> you know it's almost like a retrospective view is easy, almost easier than when we were in it at the at the time do you know what I mean yeah like, yeah totally and, and again it's like that whole thing like I'd, I've never wanted to be particularly moany about anything to do with music and it's easy to jump mm-hmm. on that I think sometimes because mm-hmm. it's too obvious isn't it yeah, and it's a choice, you know, like I said, it's um if you know, there's so much to be enjoyed by having a career in music, like the people that you meet and the places that you get to visit and um the friendships that we've made, you know, like friendships that are gonna last, you know, last mm-hmm. um a, a whole lifetime. So I wouldn't swap any of that for, you know, having to deal with some of the bump the bumps along the way. Um so um yeah tended to tended to always like I said I think whenever we've had interviews in the past tended to always kind of focus on what it is that we do really feel passionate about which is the music but now with a bit of time you know a little bit of time you can look back and like you said you can almost see the comedy of some of the things that have happened (laughs) in the past you know thinking about the like the lyrical content of Into the Blue and it has anything that we've talked about here Is, is that does that play a part in it yeah hugely um Again, I think it's um, the whole album is is about kind of um, you know it, it's kind of chronicling something that's been quite transformative um, uh, from a personal perspective for me. Like um, you know, I was talking before about um, like I feel like there's been like little moments of my life where I haven't felt like I've been completely in control. I kind of feel like I've just been being pushed along, um, mm. and um, and because of that, you know, I've maybe fallen foul sometimes to some, you know, to, to not feeling that great or, or or having bad relationships or not really knowing what I wanted for myself. And I think this album is very much about, um, you know, um, reclaiming yourself and start starting to embrace um you know, embrace those difficulties and, and, and uncertainty, you know, um, like feel excited by life and all the surprises instead of feeling like, like in some way that they're something to be feared. Um, and that this, that this album talks, talks about that a lot. Cause like I said, I think I've gone through the most changes in the past 12 months whilst writing this record that I've gone through in the, the whole time that, you know, so I think it's definitely a song about, um, uh, sorry, an album and and the track as well, but um, about you know uh, being vulnerable and being you know and allowing yourself to to uh, be open to growth and and not be not be frightened of what the future sometimes 
holds, you know, and really anchor yourself, get your power back. Don't let other people take that away, you know. Um, that's a great that's a great message I think we every, you know every, every every human every animal needs to be reminded of that it's hard sometimes isn't it you know like things happen you have traumas in your life that happen and they make you doubt yourself they they make you question who you are and your confidence and you know you can be manipulated or you know you can like I said have people in your life that aren't good for you um, mm-hmm. and you know and, and experiences that haven't haven't been good for you so like as much you know being able to the first step is being able to kind of like have enough time and you know belief to be able to I suppose recognize that and say I I don't actually want that anymore do you know what I mean like that's Mm -hmm. that's a waste of um waste of the time that we do have you know absolutely and maybe that maybe that jumps more straightforward and easier than than it might seem at the time I mean, everybody has their, their, their journey, don't, don't they? But I think when you yeah. do whatever it is that makes you suddenly realize that like something that's in your life isn't maybe serving you or that you, you know, you're not getting what you want or you, um, you know, you, f- you feel like things need change, you know, like I said, just being able to f- face that and, and try and push, push through it. Where and how does that epiphany come you know and um how do you how do you create create that you know to to get to get there but you know everybody deserves to have that moment I think whether you know they maybe realize that um that things you know that things can feel better and that the you know the future doesn't have to seem um you know so so chaotic or so scary or not exactly what they what what you want it to be so Rhiannon, I love that. Thank you so much. I've so enjoyed the last hour or so. It's been minutes. a good laugh, hasn't it? I've been um, I've been doing a couple of um, different podcasts, and I, I've just found like the, do you know, you know, like the just the conversation and the questions and everything. I've just found them uh, like it just feel like they've just been very nice and connecting compared to some stuff that I've done over the years, which sometimes feels a bit one sided or stagnant, you know. So like I love how they. Pod, the podcast culture and you know like I don't know it just feels like it brings yeah like quite a lot of depth doesn't it and um thoughtfulness to you know to music and the conversation and all that sort of stuff so I've been really in, enjoying them so yeah thank you very much for your time today and the questions and the conversation yeah so there was Ritzy Bryan from the Joy Formidable Into the Blue is out now on Hassle Records you know where to order it cheers for listening see you next week I've been working all day for me mate on the side Running around like a blue ass fly I've been working, yeah I've been working all day for me mate Every blinking minute I've been on the go Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow I've been working, yeah I've been working all day for me mate This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast <laughs>